the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hi, welcome back. Second hour. Second of three. Those of you who weren't with us the first hour, let me do this very quickly. My name is Mayor Jolovitz. A pleasure to sit in for Seth Leapson and a pleasure to have you join us. I'd mentioned at the beginning of the hour that I co-host a radio show on this very network, Patriot Radio, uh, The Politics of the Middle East. Uh, the name of the program is Middle East Radio Forum. And uh, in discussing it, we offer analysis, commentary, and we offer opinions which I guess one would say are, uh, you'd be hard-pressed to find elsewhere, but you can find them here. I have a signature opening that I mentioned uh, just an hour ago, but I'll mention it again because it's relevant to the guest that we have now. On that broadcast, Middle East Radio Forum, I offer a signature opening that we recognize and readily identify the struggle between competing civilizations, ideologies, and cultures, between Western values and those dedicated to upending them. We're going to address that subject right now with someone who is very special and who knows that subject perhaps better than all. Our guest is Robert Spencer. Now, I have a very, very long introduction, and given the fact that we've only got an hour, I'm going to give you about 5% of it, but it's important. Robert Spencer is director of Jihad Watch, and he's also a Shulman Fellow at the David Horowitz Freedom Center, an author of 23 books, and I think a 24th book coming out in May. Uh, he includes, among those books, the New York Times bestsellers, The, Pol- the Politically Incorrect Guide to Islam, The Truth About Muhammad, and the bestselling also, The History of Jihad from Muhammad to ISIS. Robert Spencer has led seminars on Islam and Jihad for the FBI, the United States Central Command, the United States Army Command and General Staff, and so on, and so on, and so forth. The Joint Terror Task Force, the Justice Department's Anti-Terror Advisory Council, the U.S. intelligence community. His well-respected authority on Jihad, Islam, and terrorism. A senior fellow he is also at the Center for Security Policy. Robert Spencer is a regular columnist for Front Page Magazine and has written hundreds of articles about jihad and Islamic terrorism. His articles on Islam and other topics have appeared virtually in every major newspaper in the Western world. He has appeared on every news television program that you can uh, cite. Um, Well, he's been doing this ever since Muhammad established Al Jazeera television a number of years ago as a tool to manipulate the West. Robert Spencer has been a featured speaker at scores of universities uh, and at times uh, threatened as a victim of cancel culture as well. He's addressed more than his fair share of academic think tanks um, and once he actually found time to eat a meal. Uh, Robert, it's a pleasure to have you join us today. Likewise, Mayor. Good to talk to you. Thank you. Thank you. I would begin with the, logist, uh, the, the, the logical first question. What is wrong with us? But we don't have the time, so I'll ask you this instead. In the endeavor to better understand the Middle East or the threat of Islam to the Western world, it seems that we've surrendered control to the utter naivete of policymakers who really don't understand that there is a different mentality over there. Can you just address that to begin with? Sure. 
uh, in the first place, it's a certain kind of ethnocentrism that they don't even realize that they're suffering from. In other words, <clears throat> they can't imagine a world in which there are people who think differently from, they, from them and have different priorities and goals. Uh, John Kerry, for example, when he was going over to talk to Iran to hammer out the Iran deal back in the first Obama administration, he uh, was assuming that the Iranian mullahs wanted peace as much as he did, whereas actually John Kerry wants peace, but the Iranian mullahs don't want peace. They want the subjugation of uh, states around them and the destruction of Israel. Mm -hmm. uh, this is uh, something that just it doesn't seem to ever occur to the foreign policy establishment. Uh, I remember George W. Bush saying years ago that uh, we're fighting for ordinary moms and dads in Iraq, and uh, they want freedom as much as we do. Mm -hmm. And I think, George, you just don't understand that Islamic law has a radically different understanding of what freedom is in the first place. And uh, the ordinary moms and dads in Iraq may want freedom but they just don't think about it the way you do. Right. But this has been the big handicap of the American foreign policy establishment, really, since 9-11 and before that as well, that uh, we're, we think we're dealing with people who are just like us, and the fact is that they're not. What or who do you fault for this obvious <clears throat> disconnect from reality? These are the experts. I mean, I always make fun, the so-called experts. They're the experts. Uh, who's to blame? What's to blame? Well, I suppose the main thing to blame is that uh, it's the whole post-war environment, really. I mean, post-World War II environment in which the United Nations was established and it looked as if all of the nations of the world were interested in uh, attaining some kind of working relationship that would rule out war. And this created a generation, now several generations, of uh, foreign policy State Department wonks and people like that who uh, uh, just tend to assume that without examining it. And they, meanwhile, are also taught, and this is where it gets really insidious, that if they study Islam in connection with Islamic terrorism and discuss the nature of Islamic texts and teachings that terrorists use to justify their actions, then they'll be Islamophobic and racist. And consequently, they do not study those things, and thus it never does come into their mind that they may be dealing with people with vastly different priorities from ours. Yeah, that certainly seems to be the case. If one looks at Europe 20 years ago, 25 years ago, and then again today, um, and perhaps even forecast where we might be in 30 years, are we fighting an unwinnable, an unwinnable war? Uh, or are we not even fighting a war? Might that be the problem? Yeah. In many ways, we're not fighting the war at all. I mean, there are Islamic jihadis, and they are pursuing the uh, subjugation of the non-Muslim world. And meanwhile, the United States is committed as a matter of policy all over the all through the foreign policy establishment to the idea that there really isn't any Islamic jihad, that the Islamic jihadis are twisting and hijacking the peaceful religion of Islam, and that there's no need for the United States to try to engage the ideology of these people because they just dismiss it as being wrong. I mean, now that's sort of ridiculous on the face of it, because it may be wrong, but even if it were wrong, we need to understand it in order to counter it. But uh, that's not allowed nowadays in the, in the current foreign policy environment. 
Right. Now, it seems that the other side, if I could label them as the other side, seems to know exactly – they know how to take our pulse, but it appears that we don't know how to take theirs. And it's a, it's a tremendous advantage that they seem to have. Uh, the, the same discussion is being held with Putin and Biden. We know who the smarter person is sitting in the opposite sides of the table. Uh, we know who they are. They know also which buttons to push in order to make a Robert Spencer appear to be the bad guy. He's an Islamophobe because he's exposed us. How does one counter that? Can one counter that? Well, there's only so much you can do. I mean, you're right. I used to uh, be an instructor for the FBI and the military on uh, the ideology of the jihadis. That is, I would give them an understanding of the mindset of the terrorists. But uh, it was many years ago now, it's 10 years ago now that I was fired because the Obama administration was committed to the completely false proposition that Islam really didn't have anything to do with terrorism. And consequently, there was no need to study it mm-hmm. and no need to understand it. And so uh, what are you going to do with that? You know, uh, the, the, it's a counterfactual proposition to begin with. And so it's, it's difficult to deal with on rational ground. Right. We all remember 9-11 just a few days later was George Bush. You had mentioned George Bush, a Bush who, who went on international television and reminded us that we would be mistaken to believe that there was an implacable, an implacable enemy that doesn't uh, think that uh, – or the things that we do. In fact, it was the religion of peace. And all of a sudden, the very angry farmer in Kansas who actually understood who the enemy was – all of a sudden thought, oh, but my president says that it's the – and therefore it became an aberration. Uh, we've got a commercial break coming up in a minute, but the thing that I'd like to discuss with you is, um, is the following. Is um, <laughs> what does one do in order to explain to those people who actually believe uh, in the Orwellian inversion of, 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 you know, of reality? Because it seems to me that any time that we find fault in our enemy – well, it must be our fault for having found it. And it's a, I mean, it's a remarkable problem that I think the Western world does not come to terms with. Uh, we have a commercial break. When we come back to the commercial break, I have that and many other questions. Our guest today, Robert Spencer. I'm going to ask Robert before we're done um, um, how we access his information, his books, and everything else. For anyone who's interested in world affairs, there might not be anything more important than understanding the difference of the mind that we now Talk about the uh, the Islamic mind. Um, we'll get back to that after the commercial break. Hi, welcome back. Mary Jolliva sitting in for Seth Leibson. Special guest today, Robert Spencer. Robert Spencer's director of Jihad Watch, uh, a Shulman fellow also at the David Horowitz Freedom Center, an expert on Islam. I remember going to Barnes & Noble and asking the gal who was working behind the counter if she could give me uh, – I'd like to purchase a copy of the moderate Islam, of the moderate Quran. And she told me that there was only one version of the Quran and it didn't specify that it was moderate or radical. Now, we remember that after 9-11, there was a concern almost universally about the dangers coming from radical Islam. Two questions, Robert. First – is there really such a thing as radical or militant Islam? Or is that a bogus misrepresentation of the threat posed by a greater ideology? And with that, a second question, is it fair to say that there really does not exist a moderate Islam? Rather, one can find true, moderate Muslims 
but we should not conflate the two with uh, moderate Islam and moderate Muslims. Could you speak to that, please? Yeah, absolutely, Mayor. There certainly are moderate Muslims, but there's no moderate Islam. The uh, problem, in, in large part, is that nobody defines these terms, and they're thrown around all the time with people assuming what they mean, but uh, without any actual explanation. What people often assume that moderate Muslim means somebody who rejects jihad violence mm-hmm. and who believes that Muslims should coexist peacefully with non-Muslims as equals in a secular state. Uh, actually, there is no version of Islam that teaches such a thing. Islam in all of its various sects and schools of jurisprudence teaches that it is necessary to wage war against unbelievers and subjugate them under the rule of Islamic law. Now, there are, however, many Muslims who don't care about doing that, just as there are people in all religious traditions who don't follow all the things that the religion teaches. But that doesn't change what the religion does teach. And so consequently, the people who are uh, Muslims and are perfectly nice people and are never going to blow anybody up, they certainly exist, and they are moderate Muslims, but they do not represent a tradition within Islam, and so they're always vulnerable to the appeal of the jihadis because the jihadis present themselves to peaceful Muslims as the authentic embodiment of Islam, and they convince a lot of young people that way. Mm-hmm. Now, there are a number of uh, Islamic organizations even here in America. We've heard uh, the names, of course. The most notable might be CARE, the Council in American Islamic Relations. Now, they've aligned themselves quite successfully, I would argue, with the Muslim Brotherhood and have gotten away with it. Um, they have worked their way into mainstream politics. They represent, they claim all the best interests of American um, uh, American Arabs, American Muslims, and, and such. Have we just simply lost our ability to read and see the obvious? Have we, have we lost our mind? Um, CARE seems to, I would venture to guess that CARE might be invited to more places to speak about uh, the conflict uh, than you are. Is that possibly true? Oh, there's no doubt that that's true. That's absolutely true. And uh, it's really just a, a manifestation of the fact that we've lost the plot here with, with uh, uh, the, the whole State Department diplomatic foreign policy establishment has uh, uh, lost its way because CARE was designated an unindicted co-conspirator mm-hmm. in a funding case involving Hamas. And um, <clears throat> that was years ago, and the FBI even stopped, announced that they were going to stop cooperating with them uh, because the, uh, the, the because of their ties to Hamas and so on. But then the various intelligence and law enforcement agencies simply continued to work with CARE as if it were a perfectly legitimate organization and a genuine civil rights organization. And as a matter of fact, the establishment media constantly presents CARE as if it were a uh, simply a Muslim ACLU mm-hmm. and never mentions the Hamas ties. Now, that's bad enough from the media itself, but the, uh, the problem is that when you get the uh, government agencies going against their own designation of CARE, as an unindicted co-conspirator in this Hamas funding case, then you're, you're, it's, it's absolutely absurd. It, it, make, it renders these designations meaningless, and it uh, raises concerns that 
if care really is tied to Hamas, which it obviously is, then you're letting these people into high levels of power and influence. That And, and what, what possible good could come from that? Right. And I, I guess one would have to assume that this was not done accidentally. When We all remember when candidate Biden spoke about the fact that there needs to be a better indoctrination towards understanding Islam in the schools. He said this as a candidate actually thought that he would score points rather than lose points by suggesting that Americans need to get a, to get a better handle on the wonders of, uh, of Islam. Uh, so let me ask you this question. We talk about uh, – I, I gave a long list, and it was a fraction of the things that you've done um, as far as getting the word out. Yet, uh, has cancel culture found you yet? And in what capacity? Could you tell oh. us uh, – yeah, could you tell us a little about Mayor, that? Yeah, I was canceled. Yeah, I was canceled before there was cancel yeah. culture. <laughs> yeah. uh, as a matter of fact, what the whole cancel culture business of uh, saying that some people were beyond the bounds of acceptable discourse – uh, that all started with opponents of jihad violence and Sharia oppression of women. Uh, it all began from the uh, way that they dealt with us in smearing us and uh, defaming us as if we were racists and hate mongers and bigots and so on, and uh, never dealing honestly with the information that we were providing or even bothering to refute it. And this is, it was quintessential cancel culture, really. There were protests any time I was invited to speak in a mainstream venue until finally the mainstream venues stopped inviting me. Mm -hmm. Same thing at universities, where they would act as if Jack the Ripper had come to speak or something. It was absolutely astonishing, really, but not surprising at all, given the fact that the students have been so thoroughly indoctrinated into thinking that it's worse to oppose jihad violence than to actually commit jihad violence. Yeah, it's, it's absolutely remarkable. I spoke in the, uh, the earlier hour, as I will again in the third hour, when I'm going to bring Israel a, uh, a little more into play, uh, that we live in a society, a Western society, let's not pretend otherwise. It's quite gullible. Uh, the students, you know, oh, yeah. yeah, the students, Ivy League or Stanford or wherever, uh, we're supposed to think that they're intelligent. That clearly is not the case. Uh, there is something wrong. Either that uh, or the other side is just doing a much better job than we are. I've argued that same thing when it comes to Israel. If Israel's right about all these issues, why is it always having to defend itself? And the answer is because there seems to be a an audience a, which uh, which willfully, willingly both uh, decide that they want to support who they think are the underdogs. We're the bad guys. The others are the good guys. Uh, that's something that I want to talk about also. I mean, it's just absolutely remarkable. Um, can you tell us very quickly, we have a minute before this commercial, um, how we can reach you, how people can find you? Yeah. I'm at jihadwatch.org, which is the only news site that gives you news of uh, the jihad activity all around the world, including the U.S. And at uh, Jihad Watch RS on Twitter, there's also a Jihad Watch Facebook group. Very good. Jihad Watch, for those of you... Uh, who need to find that pencil and the pen to write this down. We have a commercial break. We'll be coming back. And I want to switch the focus a little more with Robert's uh, expertise, also about the matters of Israel, ostensibly an ally of the United States, but one wonders sometimes, not because of anything that Israel has done wrong, but rather the opposite. Uh, we'll be back after this commercial break. Hi, welcome back. Once again, my name is Mayor Jolovitz. I have the privilege of sitting in for Seth Leibson. Those of you who are frequent listeners know this as well. Political discourse and common sense is better served when Seth offers his opinion on matters. 
I mentioned right before, our guest today um, is Robert Spencer. I mentioned right before the commercial break about, uh, brought up Israel. Uh, the reality is this insanity which we spoke about has also permeated uh, not only uh, the Western world, but of all places, Israel, uh, the direct target of uh, every ill intent of the Muslim world. Uh, it's found its way also into Israel. For the first time in Israel's modern history, going back to 1948, we have a coalition government that includes as part of the government an Arab party, Ram. Uh, that has a symbiotic relationship with the Muslim Brotherhood. Now, Israel is known for its democratic spirit in that Muslims have always, uh, Arabs have always sat in the Israeli Knesset. Uh, It's supposed to be a sign of progress until one hears what they have to say in that Knesset. But in this particular case, it's an actual government that stands, and the only reason it hasn't fallen is because of the four seats of the Ra'am party. Uh, This is insanity, and as I said, it seems to permeate um, it seems to permeate uh, Western thinking. I'd mentioned before just in a minute um, about uh, Europe, what's happening to Europe. Where is Europe going? Could you speak to that, please, Robert? Well, Europe has been pursuing for many years now a policy of large-scale migration of Muslims into the continent. The uh, Arab League, actually, and the European Commission back in the 70s made various agreements uh, in which the Europeans agreed to encourage this mass migration and not to press the new migrants to assimilate and adopt European values. Now, 50-some years later, we have enclaves in which Islamic law is enforced and the law of the land is ignored uh, all around Europe. And these are growing because the Muslim population in Europe is growing and the non-Muslim population is decreasing. So as the Sharia enclaves increase and the Muslim population increases, there's going to be more of a presence of uh, the adherence to Islamic law in Europe and less of what we've traditionally known of as Europe in the past. It's really uh, uh, right now we are seeing the end of European civilization. And by the end of this century, it's likely that Europe will be entirely Islamic. It's incredible, yeah, and not to be uh, and not to be ignored, and yet it is ignored. I mean, it's absolutely remarkable. Uh, here, let me bring it to Israel uh, just for a moment. The um, uh, the Abraham Accords. Uh, one can argue, you know, that there's great benefit from the Abraham Accords between Israel and those few Muslim nations which are considered moderate. Um, they are. I refer to them the so-called uh, uh, moderate states, and the reason is because of this. Uh, this big elephant in the room, it's the Islamic Republic of Iran. Uh, there is also that uh, that uh, famous um, um, maxim, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. And lest we forget that in every UN resolution that's been held, which has condemned Israel, and there have been many since those agreements, every one of those so-called moderate Arab states has voted against Israel in every single case. Right, what's your opinion about this? Well, the Abraham Accords are indeed a, uh, an alliance of convenience because what we have is a uh, common threat in Iran, and consequently the various Sunni Muslim states that have made the agreements with Israel see that threat and think that the Israelis can help them, which is absolutely true. Now, at the same time, is this does this mean that there will be lasting peace and that these 
various Muslim countries will throw off the Islamic principles and the deeply rooted Islamic anti-Semitism that led them to be hostile to Israel in the first place, that's not likely. Uh, as soon as the common threat is gone, if it ever is gone, mm-hmm. then it is most likely that the Abraham Accords will be broken. Uh, it's just a matter of protecting the UAE and Bahrain and so on against, uh, not Bahrain, the UAE. Is, oh, actually, it is Bahrain, isn't it? Yes, it is. But any, it? Uh, protecting them against Iran, yeah. that's all. Yeah. Well, yeah, I appreciate that. We do have a commercial break coming up in a minute. When we come back, and it'll be the last segment, and we have the pleasure of having you, it'll be a nine-minute-long segment, and I uh, I want to get to something. What I want to ask uh, is this. Uh, we've all heard this before. Well, at least those of us who follow the Middle East. Allah is our objective. The Prophet is our leader. Quran is our law. Jihad is our way. Dying in the way of Allah is our highest hope something that you certainly know quite well. I'd like you to comment when I repeat that after the commercial break. Thank you. Hi, welcome back. Mayor Jolovitz sitting in for Seth Leibson. Honored to have as a guest uh, Robert Spencer. This will be the last segment. Um, I mentioned right before the commercial break something. Um, which I want uh, our guests to speak to. Uh, Let me say this first of all. I believe that by misunderstanding the conflict or the obvious clash of civilization and cultures, we prove, certainly in the Western world, that gullibility is a form of stupidity. Uh, We understand, of course, that uh, there was a very different flavor in the air for the eight years of the Obama administration, uh, differed, of course, from the four years that followed with Trump. They seem to have a different – the the advisors seem to have a different understanding of who uh, the enemy is or is not. Uh, We've come back to Obama too. Same players mostly uh, spearheading Team Biden and doesn't bode well. So let me bring in what I said right before the commercial break. Allah is our objective. The prophet is our leader. Quran is our law. Jihad our way. Dying in the way of Allah is the highest hope. Could you speak to that, Robert? Well, that is the aspiration of the Muslim Brotherhood, and what it means is that they want to fight against, by various means, violent as well as nonviolent means, fight against uh, governments that are not constituted according to Islamic law, and uh, bring them to fall so that they can replace them by governments that are based on Islamic law. And so that's really the uh, whole objective of the Muslim Brotherhood. They briefly held power in uh, Egypt in 2012, but they so alienated the Egyptian people that they were overthrown, and uh, they have been very closely monitored in Egypt ever since then. Many of the Muslim Brotherhood leaders are in prison. However, it's an international movement. Uh, all of the major Islamic organizations in the United States are linked to the Muslim Brotherhood and are working for that same objective. Uh, Israel has no right to exist in this view because it, it is on land that belongs to Islam, and thus also the Brotherhood and its various offshoots, uh, including Hamas, which says it's the Muslim Brotherhood for Palestine, uh, they have to fight to destroy Israel and replace it with an Islamic state. Uh, this is completely ignored in the State Department. They don't pay any attention to it at all, although 
uh, Palestinian Arab leaders and their allies constantly say that this is all about Islam and constantly situate their struggle in Islamic terms. Uh, the foreign policy establishment, however, completely ignores this aspect of the conflict and continues to treat it as if it is an ordinary dispute over land that can be settled by various compromises, uh, mostly on the Israel side, and that, uh, therefore, if we just get the people to negotiate mm -hmm. and get the Israelis to make concessions, then everything will be okay. But actually, this uh, is not the way the jihad works. The concessions that Israel will be forced to make by these fools will only aid the jihadi agenda of destroying it altogether. And that's one of the that's really the only reason why there are Palestinian groups at the negotiating table in the first place, because they know that they can manipulate the West into forcing Israel to make concessions that will ultimately work towards the destruction of Israel altogether. Right. That's exactly right. In fact, I've, I mean, I've lectured in Middle East affairs for 45 years now, and I remember that the old lexicon was uh, the Arab Israeli conflict. It was sort of a neutral, uh, value-free comment. That the Arab Israeli conflict told you nothing. Uh, and when I lecture today, I remind people that that's not the way that we should describe it. It should be described in one of two ways, and they both apply. The Arab war against Israel or the Muslim war against the Jews. But that's the proper way to see it, because if language means anything, and I spent the first couple of minutes of this broadcast talking about the fact that language often means everything, then it's important that we put it in perspective, especially when speaking to an audience that really doesn't know what's going on. You mentioned concessions. What's the formula for peace in the Middle East, the way that the Arab world, the Muslim world sees it? It's Israel gives and the Arabs get. And yet, we even Israel Israel plays along. Israel plays along. Israel's attitude is, if you only stop killing us, if you only stop killing us, maybe you will be rewarded with a state of their own. Um, it's insanity. Uh, it prevails. So let me bring Israel into the question. A couple of years ago, you wrote a book, The Palestinian Delusion, The Catastrophic History of the Middle East Peace Process, which explores the fraudulent nature of the failed peace process. Now, it's rather remarkable, or perhaps not, that the Western world has this image of the Palestinian Authority uh, of being moderate. It's President Mahmoud Abbas, uh, who proudly sponsors a pay-for-slave program, uh, rewards terrorists for murdering uh, Israelis. Mahmoud Abbas, who for 40 years was uh, uh, Arafat's uh, deputy, who was the financier of the Munich massacre, who wrote his PhD dissertation through Moscow, in which it was the denial of the Holocaust, who names uh, soccer stadiums, uh, city squares, and the like after uh, terrorists. And yet he's not... It doesn't really matter. He's still viewed as a moderate in the, uh, in the Western world. Have we actually failed that miserably to expose uh, the sham of the political peace partner and refer to your book as, uh, as you answer this, please? Well, the thing is, uh, we have told the truth about Mahmoud Abbas and his colleagues, but the foreign policy establishment says otherwise. They have the megaphone. They have the access to the media, mm -hmm. and so they were able to plant in the popular mind the idea that uh, Abbas was moderate. Abbas is not in the slightest degree moderate, besides the things that you noted. He also has made it very clear that he will not allow a single Jew to live in a future Palestinian right. state. You'd need and so the, 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 exactly, and the ridiculous uh, idea that the that the State Department has, that they're going to be two states living side by side in peace. This is sheer fantasy, and it, 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 it is 
based on absolutely nothing in fact. But the uh, the one thing that the Palestinian organization, both in the in in the United States and also in and around Israel, the one thing that they do very well is manipulate popular opinion and throw sand in the eyes of so-called foreign policy experts. And so we're seeing the fruit of that now. Yeah, that's certainly the case. Uh, we've only got uh, two minutes left. Uh, the last minute, I'll say, for you telling the audience how they might reach and access some of the stuff that you have out there, which is important stuff. You have a book, I believe, coming out in May, um, The Critical Quran. Can you tell us very quickly about that book? Yeah, you know, for years I've been working with the Quran. I've written books about the Quran before. But I have always noticed that the translations of the Quran into English often, for the most part, tend to obscure what it really says, rather than illuminate what it really says. And so this is an honest translation of the Quran, a very clear translation, and also one that uh, is uh, uh, it's, uh, supplemented by commentary that is based on the mainstream Islamic commentaries on the Quran. Mm-hmm. So this book gives you, for the first time in English, I believe, Wonderful. a uh, clear Quran and one that tells you how Muslims understand the various passages. Thank you. In the last 30 seconds, our guest today has been Robert Spencer, director of Jihad Watch, um, <clears throat> a wonderful authority. Robert, I thank you for your time, and as you say goodbye, tell us how we can reach you once again. Yeah, I'm at jihadwatch.org, the only site on the web that covers jihad activity in the United States and around the world at Jihad Watch RS on Twitter, and there's a Jihad Watch group on Facebook, if you can find it amid all the banning. Robert Spencer, I thank you and look forward to the next time that we have bad news to talk about. Thank you, Robert. Thank you. Always a pleasure. Bye-bye. Hi, welcome back. Mayor Jolovitz, sitting in for Seth Leibson. True pleasure to do this. In the 2001 TV movie Uprising about the Jewish revolt in the Warsaw Ghetto in April of 1943, during the height of the Holocaust, our hero poses a question. Can a moral man maintain his moral code in an immoral world? It's a question that we ask even today. Someone once suggested that if we study modern man, that the only lesson of history is that there are no lessons that we've learned from history. And I believe that one would be hard-pressed to refute that suggestion. We've only got a couple of minutes before this hour ends. When we come back, an important third hour, uh, there'll be an audio piece or two that I think you'll very much enjoy. I just want to tell you something, that uh, in keeping with uh, what our guest, Robert Spencer, was talking about, and I'll address some of this in in that last hour, there is a misconception about the chances of peace in the Middle East, the peace process which is a misnomer. Uh, There's absolutely no effort on the part of one uh, side. We're talking about the Arab Muslim world. Uh, They simply don't recognize Israel's right to exist as a state. And the key word here is its right to exist in the Middle East. And the tragic thing is not only do we know that because we listen to what they say, understand that there are comments made for domestic consumption as well as those made for foreign consumption. We too often pay attention to those made for foreign consumption. We seem to purposefully ignore those made for domestic consumption. And they have had us fooled so well that they are now making those same statements for foreign consumption, unafraid that we will desert them as potential peace partners. We're really, really losing this game. I want to read you something very quickly. 
I wrote this uh, in the mid-70s. The Palestinian Arab design, however cosmeticized with euphemistic slogans, remains the same, namely the liquidation of Israel. If Israel's end will not come by a single spectacular event, a war, then it must, they maintain, be realized as a cumulative result of the long-drawn-out series of political rather than military reverses. Hence, it can be said for the Palestinian Arabs, in the context of the Arab-Israeli conflict, war is not a continuation of diplomacy by other means, as Clausewitz pronounced, but just the opposite. Diplomacy has become the continuation of war by other means. Translation, (laughs) it means that when the Arabs realized that they couldn't defeat Israel military, they chose another weapon, and that weapon is diplomacy. And we in the Western world are too stupid to understand it. What we don't understand is that they're not the ones who are dumb. We are. They're not going to sell us a rug in the Arab shook uh, that's undervalued. They'll always get what they want. And if they don't, they're not going to sell it to us. Uh, our diplomats seem not to understand that. By the way, that, uh, that uh, quote that I just read you was from – it's an excerpt uh, from a thesis uh, uh, that I wrote, The Politics of Terrorism in the Middle East, A Study of Ideology – strategy and tactics. Um, nothing has changed, sadly, other than the cosmetics. And we have hook, line, and sinker bought into the cosmetics. Uh, commercial break when we come back. Uh, the news and also uh, some important things that you need to hear. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.